All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Good afternoon. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 231 points, or seven-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 46 points, or 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 284 points, or 2%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 7%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 19.3%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 36.8%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, I guess we had – do we have another attack of the Fridays? Because after the reversal of the market's fortunes on Thursday, we were looking – if Friday happened to be another negative day, again, would have had a negative week. But, of course, we were pulled out. Uh, on Friday to end the week in positive territory across the board for all three major indexes. But the Dow missed setting a record that dates back more than 100 years by not closing up on Friday. Or excuse me, on Thursday. Thursday. Excuse me, on Thursday. How many days in a row would that have been? It would have been 14. 14? 14. It would have been 14, and that record has held since 1796, folks. And did the Dow exist in 1796? I guess whatever they considered the Dow or the stock market, yes, like from 1796. Stocks. What would be the stocks were in the Dow in 1796? That'll be on next week's show. So yeah, okay. Can. Probably yeah, a lot of shipping, <laughs> something to do I, with agriculture. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm buying that. I know I know it's been a long time, but I think it might have been the 18, 1800s, not the 1700s. Was it maybe but, 1896? But you, but you would, maybe 1896, yeah. Um, <laughs> My memory could be off. But, but think about this for a moment. If you told me at the beginning of the year, or told any of us at the beginning of the year, that, one, the NASDAQ was going to be up, 37% in the first seven months of the year. I know we have one trading day left. The NASDAQ is going to be up 37% in 
that the Dow would have a string of up days in a row that would rival a record that was more than 100 years old. And how many times has the Federal Reserve raised interest rates this year? I've, I mean, March, three? April, May, and July. So yeah, four. Four. The, and the Fed rate to, to the highest federal funds rate in 22 years. That's before Kyle joined us at Davidson Capital Management. That's not long after you got out of college. I don't remember exactly when that was, Kyle. 1998. 1998. So it was three years after you got a college. You're what, Alliance with Joe? Yes. Joe and I were at Alliance Capital Management together. So this was after after the stock, after the dot-com era ended? Yes. So so 2001 was the last time that the federal funds rate was this high. And the Dow record dates back to 1897. So let me correct myself. So 1897. And that was right before the tech. Yeah. You were just 100 years off, Kyle. It's okay. I I apologize. (laughs) No, excuse me. I had had another date in mind for something else. But, yes, if the Dow had ended positive on Thursday, it would have broken a record that stood since 1897. But it failed. And, And everything was looking rosy on Thursday. Until it seemed after Rick Santelli came out and was talking about a weaker bond auction on the seven-year treasury, the markets across the board just rolled over and kept going down and almost ended at the you know the lowest point on the daily close on Thursday. But we have later found out on Friday that the market was actually uh, reacting not to the seven-year Treasury bond auction, but some information that came out of the Bank of Japan and how they're going to be putting more flexible controls on their yield curve. I'm not going to get deep into the weeds on what all that means, but the market reacted negatively. I should say the algorithms reacted negatively. I just remember hearing down the hall Thursday, Kyle yelling, freaking algos, and the market capitulated. So, and, and, and that's and that's what it is. And see, that's the one thing. You know, this is why active management is so key, because when you have such light volume as we've had really going back to last year, and we have so much computer algorithmic trading, one little data point, one piece of news that comes out across the Associated Press news feed can trigger the machines to either do buying or do selling. So until we get much higher volume, much more participants in the market, less, you know, more money, not so concentrated and so few of hands and get the money uh, in the market spread out amongst more participants, we're going to have these more volatile type situations. I don't think that's ever going to change. I, I, it's I, not going to completely I, change, Jeff, but I, but I think it could be less of a rubber band snap reaction. I think, well, I, the, the the thing that's never going to change is, well, to me at this point, in approaching my the end of my thirty first you thirty know, first year of, of managing money, <clears throat> is the consolidation of assets into fewer hands that continues to occur. Because there's, I mean, there, there's just this constant con- consolidation in the investment management industry to a- achieve greater economies of scale, and you know, 
why do they why so cuz so these so these organizations can be even more profitable yeah joe well i mean if you look at what we've seen especially just in the mutual fund industry alone we're not talking about you know the the historically your your wirehouses and your in your regional brokers but you look at the just the mutual fund industry alone you've seen so much consolidation where the big just get bigger and bigger and they keep gobbling up everybody else. I mean, and it's 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 amazing, but the regular investor probably doesn't notice that. I mean, maybe, but it, it's pretty prevalent. So to an extent, you're right. I mean, it's fewer well, companies doing more business. So and why active management is such a key. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing the happenings of Wall Street from this past week with the Dow up 7 tenths of 1%, S&P up 1%, and the NASDAQ up 2%. Uh, and a lot of that, again, all came in on Friday, a nice snapback reversal from the uh, really sell-down that occurred on Thursday. I mean, Thursday was shaping up to be a very strong day after the Federal Reserve's decision to raise interest rates another quarter of a percent or 25 basis points on Wednesday. But then a little bit of information came out, triggered the algorithms, and the market rolled over and was you know quite a, quite a down day on Thursday, but again we had a nice reversal on Friday to end the week positive. I have to just say I didn't think that Thursday's action was particularly noteworthy, you know, in terms of point loss or anything. I mean, how, you, you can't just go up every single day for the Dow over and over and over. I mean, the, the, you had there. It's like there had to be a day where where we had had a. Had a, had a reversal, and why not it be on the day that if we if it had not, we would have set this record that has stood for over a hundred years. So to say out to be surprised, no, there always has to be a reason. You know, they always got to make up some reason why. Uh, <clears throat> how about you know it's up a thousand points this month. You need to cool off. That's what you're saying. Get the yeah. governor. Take, take a little bit of a break. Like if you're in a, in a car, you got a governor, and you got to slow down a little bit. And that's, and that's just the Dow. I mean, all the averages are up about three percent for the month. Uh, we still got one more trading day to go. The the Nasdaq's up a little bit more, three point eight percent. I mean, I I would have expected a a much larger correction, if you want to call it that, or pause, or whatever label you want to put at it. In the Nasdaq, with it up almost thirty seven percent year to date. But the earnings, you know, with the exception, I think they didn't particularly care for Microsofts, but they like they like Metas. Uh, we're gonna get, they like Google. Really like Google's. Intel and Meta. They liked Intel on uh, was that was that the Friday? Friday. Mm-hmm. Intel's not part of the the Magnificent Seven, and I believe we have Apple next, uh, week. next week. I believe that we is. also have Amazon next week. I think they're both the same day. Apple's on August the third. 
Right. Next week, baby. So, yeah, so we have, you know, a couple other components from the Magnificent Seven. But, yeah, for all intents and purposes, earnings have, have been good. And, you know, let's talk about earnings real quick because as of Friday's close, 51% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported uh, their results. 80% of the S&P 500 companies have reported a positive earnings per share surprise. And 64% of the S&P companies that have reported have positive revenue surprises. So here's the question. Were the estimates too low? You know, that 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 is a question. And I know, Jeff, we were talking on Thursday because going into second quarter earnings, they're anticipating a 7% earnings decline. Well, when you and I were talking on Thursday, looking at the previous week's earning results, earnings declines was actually 9%. But over the course of this past week, earnings declines of the S&P 500 has actually improved. Right now, it's tracking it down 7.3%. And if a negative 7.3% earnings decline for the second quarter of 2023 earnings holds true, this will be the second largest earnings decline reported. Okay. As is, that quarter, keeps, is that quarter over quarter or year over year? As far as the earnings decline? Right. It's year over year. Year over year. Year over year. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. But the biggest was the second quarter of 2020, where earnings declines were down 31.6%. And that was the COVID. COVID. Yes. Yes. That was the COVID. So that was number one. This is number two. This would be number two. If a negative 7.3 earnings decline holds true, but as you and I spoke on Thursday, Jeff, it was nine the previous week, negative nine. Now it's negative 7.3, and the estimates were for negative sevens, and we're only 51% through the S&P 500 companies reporting. So we have another meaty week coming up next week for corporate earnings. So I'm imagining – Dad sitting at home on Saturday afternoon with his head exploding with all the numbers we just read off. So I got some more, by the way. Sorry, sorry, sorry for exploding our listeners' heads with all these numbers. So, given everything that you just said, why is the S and P five hundred up nineteen percent in seven months? Do you want to answer that, Joe? No, I mean I don't want to throw any more statisticals out here, but. What was GDP in the second quarter? Two point four percent. Well, mean, the, the first GDP, to- first reading of the second quarter GDP came in better than expected. So clear. So for all, what's the perception? Okay. okay, I mean, so so for all the folks that have just been counting the days, weeks, till the big recession. Yes, right. Wringing their hands on this recession that has been telegraphed by numerous, well documented. Historic, as I talked, we talked about last week, 15 times, 15, 15 negative leading economic indicator statistics in a row, 15 months of negative economic indicators. And yet, the much anticipated, much predicted recession has not arrived. Now, the question is, will it ever? Yes, Kyle. I think, and, and, and there's been a lot of talk, and it's really been getting ramped up over the last couple of weeks, that the Fed, they're starting to get the cigars ready to, to, to light up, that the Fed 
for all the instances where they've had this interest rate increasing policy going back throughout history and their horrible batting average of bringing the economy in for a soft landing, boy, that rhetoric of the Fed possibly this time threading the needle just perfect and bringing that economic plane in for a nice, smooth touch on the runway, that's really been ramping up. And I was going to say that I think now in order to really trigger a more a recession, which we've all said that the statistics are pointing to a recession. I think our timing has definitely been pushed into 2024. But if we don't get a deterioration in the employment statistics, if we don't get the the unemployment rate up eight-tenths, nine-tenths, one full percentage point, this might be the one time in a long time that the Fed actually lands the economic so, plane softly. Since I've been here, I've heard, I've heard a lot of good analogies and everything. So essentially the Fed could be hitting, you know, playing golf and the British Open and they hit a hole in one. So it's time make them a golf pro. They're pro, pro they, they're making the, the greatest Fed of all time would be Powell. So I just, I remember Jeff brought that up once and I thought that was interesting to throw out there. Oh, if, you hit a hole, if you hit a hole in one, you're, you're ready for the pro tour. <laughs> you're ready for the pro yeah. tour. Just because, yeah. just because you hit one home run doesn't mean you're ready for the pro tour. Major leagues. Yeah, yeah, for the major leagues. So we're not one home yet. run. You're not, you're not ready to right. you know, sign a multi-million dollar deal with some pro baseball club. But I think I talked several shows ago. Statistically, we're still not in a historic range in terms of the delay between the indications of when a recession um, should begin based on the statistics. We're still within that range. So for us to be already, or for, for those that are out there already declaring victory, I think it might be a little bit premature to just to be declaring victory because you just you just talked about this earnings these earnings statistics and the, the earnings if you'd have added that particular statistic to all the other things that I talked about in the first segment and then you told me that the S and P five hundred be up nineteen percent without dividends that's like what what what's happened here what what's what's going on. Now, I know you probably don't have this in, in front of you, Kyle, so I hate to spring this on you. Do you have the, the, the equally weighted? Maybe, do. maybe you could do it. Next I got time. it. I got look, it. Look, I got you it. Got Hold, on. Okay. Hold on. I got this one. Let me do something for I Thursday. have it through Thursday. You right. have it? You have it through Thursday? 985. 985. So it's 9.85%. It's, it's, it's approximately half. With the non, with is that with dividends without dividends? With dividends, with dividends. But, so it's approximately half. Okay. Of what the S and P is showing. A quick, quick stat in the quarter to date, though the equally weighted S and P is up two point six three, and the S and P is up two percent. So you're seeing some of the broadening of the, of the market, market, which is a yeah. good thing. Which is a good thing because we can't have the magnificent seven do. 90% of the heavy lifting. And so if we want this market to continue to fuel higher to the end of the year, we have to see the market breadth as far as the number of stocks participating start to get wider. And we have actually seen that this month. We've seen large cap value start to make a nice comeback. We've seen small caps starting to make a comeback. And so we're not seeing the Magnificent Seven do as much of the heavy lifting over this past month. So we want to continue to see that broadening breadth in the market 
that would be a stronger sign. But I do want to pick up, Jeff, and add a little bit more to your point as far as these earnings statistics leading to an S&P 500 up 19% plus without dividends so far year to date. So let's do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap Wall Street from this past week. And we were making a point about, you know, looking at the earnings statistics for the S&P 500. Now, if we end the second quarter, of 2023's earnings results in negative territory. This will be three quarters in a row of negative S&P 500 earnings as a group. That doesn't exactly give you all of the warm and fuzzies or lead you to believe or kind of the disbelief of the S&P 500, which is market cap weighted, being up over 19% through Friday's close. But why we've been talking about many, many past MoneyWise programs of the equally weighted S&P 500 index, which is up less than 10% year to date. But we're finally starting in this past month. We're starting to see the broadening of participants in the market, which is what we want to see. We don't want all of the growth being fueled by these seven tech names pretty much revolving around AI. But the other reason why we're talking about this is is really a warning to all investors, to all of our home gamers, not to get too far out over their skis. Because when you look at potentially three quarters in a row of negative earnings growth, you see the S&P 500 12.5% above its 200-day moving average. And you, you've got that, that situation in play. This is where you have to be very careful because then you combine it with the leading economic indicators, negative 15 months in a row. And, yes, inflation is moving in the right direction, but it's still 2-plus percent away from where the Fed's mandate is. And even though the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a quarter of a percent on Wednesday and a lot of pundits in the financial entertainment press says, oh, they're done, that's it. They're not going to raise rates anymore. Well, don't don't put the cart in front of the horse. You know, don't count out the Fed because the last thing the Fed wants to do is to have another cream pie in their face from when they screwed up last year, the year before, saying, oh, inflation is going to be transitory. So they're going to definitely continue the battle to get inflation down to their 2% mandate. Even though there's not a meeting in August, they had their Jackson Hole Symposium. So another interest rate decision isn't going to be sept- until September. And so we have a, at least another month of economic statistics that have to come out. But I guess we're talking about this because we're not here waving the, the white flag saying all is clear. Load up stocks in your portfolio we are still 
very much cautious. I mean, we in our moderate allocation, we are 50-50. We are 50% equities. We're 50% fixed income and a high-yield money market account because we know from a historic standpoint, it could be a year or more before a recession shows up. And I know we talked about this, Jeff, I think a couple of shows ago. I found a chart that showed based on historics, of the Fed raising interest rates and the delay it takes for a recession to hit, we're still within between now and 2028, still in the realm of possibility of this interest rate hiking cycle triggering a recession by the Federal Reserve. 2028, folks, and we're still within historic norms. I'm I'm not sure about that. Well, I showed you the chart. I did the research. I I wanted to get to an analogy here. I mean, we were talking about sports the last segment. So essentially what Kyle is telling investors is don't spike the ball yet. We were talking about a whole lot of don't spike the ball. But have some – you're talking about a 50-50 allocation. It's not – if you have some cash and and essentially we're waiting for some kind of pullback, maybe a 5% correction possibly. But there are are going to be some times when you want to have some cash – to deploy in a situation like this. But keep in mind, you could, Kyle, your numbers, they could be right. You could have a recession in the next year. What if the market goes up another 5 to 10%? So point being, you know, there still might be some gains before we have that recession, and you have to be ready to, to – well, that's true. That the, the, the key the key of this whole conversation, not to put our listeners asleep, but I, I hope we didn't, is don't get leaning too far over your skis when it comes to stock allocation in your portfolio. As Joe said, when we see pullbacks, we're going to a Davidson Capital Management to use pullbacks to increase our equity allocation. We're still not at our maximum allocation to stock for our moderate, our aggressive, or conservative allocations. But as we've been talking about all year long, we have been moving very methodically, slow steps, step-by-step throughout the year as the data comes to us. But again, when you look at some of this data that is not too rosy for stocks, that's what we've been trying to say for several months now is the Magnificent Seven are kind of creating a false sense of hope of the overall strength and well-being of the economy and the stock market as a whole. It can be very misleading, so be very, very careful. It's just kind of a friendly warning to move methodically. Don't see a pullback and say, well, I was at 30% allocated to stocks. Now I'm going to 100% because we got a 5% pullback. Well, That's I, not what I, we're I, saying. I think I want to point this to Jeff because Jeff always – we always talk about a healthy correction and what that might look like. To me, I would not mind a healthy correction right now because it's like you're speeding and you got to put the governor on your car a little bit. But a healthy correction, in my opinion, is about a 5% pullback, you know, I mean, well, when you, you have at, the when you have the S and P twelve and a half percent above its two hundred day moving average, the Nasdaq is twenty point one percent above its two hundred day moving average. That is overbought. I would say significantly overbought for the Nasdaq in particular. And so, as we always say, if you're climbing Mount Everest, you're not going to the summit in day one or the first couple of days. There's periods of time where you have to stop. Kind of climb back down, create a base camp, rest for a bit before you start climbing higher. And that's kind of what we're seeing in the NASDAQ and in the S&P 500. And the Dow has had, of course, a 13-day 
in a row, nice run, but it is the, I guess, lowest performing index of the three, but it is only 30 stocks. You had, you had asked me a question. I can't remember, Kyle, if it was Wednesday or Thursday when we were talking about maybe buying buying a few things, adding to some existing positions that we have in the portfolio. And you had asked me a question. So what is the, 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 the new negative or what's the cover story that, that turns the market around the other way? For what you know, whether it's a five percent or a ten percent "quote unquote" healthy correction, and I know that's a, a term that the media likes to use, but it's ne- it never feels healthy when the market goes down ten percent in a short period of time. Uh, but healthy in a sense that you've got to ring out periodically excesses, mm-hmm. and if you've moved five hundred points on the S and P five hundred, which is more than ten percent since the beginning of May, and what's the new story? What's the cover story? Because the Fed's raised rates, I think, tw- well, at least once, I think tw- maybe twice in that in that time period, if my memory serves me correctly, and sometimes it doesn't. Why why up five hundred points on the S and P? Why? And t- to me, this just seems like yeah, you know, this seems like a a riskier area to to want to. So let's say you've been out of the markets for a while and you've you've missed this run and FOMO, fear of missing out, is starting to to really get to you. I don't think that this is a place if I'm a if I'm a FOMO type investor that I would be committing uh, excessive amounts of new money. Uh, looking at, I don't I can't remember the last time we were this this high above the 200-day moving average. My chart here on my screen only goes back. Uh, to January of last year when we had when we were at all time highs, uh, but we are just we are so far above above that number. What you want to add? Something? I was going to say, yeah, I was going to add. If you know, again, for from a technical aspect, you know, we've got a line of resistance in the S and P five hundred at forty six thirty. 4,630 points. That is the line of resistance. And so we have not broken above that line, which was the market high on March 29th of 2022. So that is going to be the next line of resistance that we have to break through. So there could be, and as the market tends to do, we could break above that line, possibly close above that line, break through that resistance, but could very, in a short period of time, roll over and come back down to form a new base at the support level before we get back above 4630, moving further to an all-time high. And that could take months for it to occur because we're coming into an historically slow time of the year, particularly in the month of August. It's a very slow month. Yeah, prior to Labor Day, uh, August is just – all the folks on the East Coast tend to go to their summer homes, the Hamptons, wherever they go, Martha's Vineyard. Europe and, shuts down. Yeah, Europe shuts down. Thank <laughs> you. And and it tends to be not a not a very active time in stocks. From a news point of view, if I remember, I don't think the Fed meets in the month of August. They don't meet again until September. Jackson Hole. We do at have the Jackson end of the month. Hole. Yeah, they're making it now the, the the Fed's August meeting, even though they don't make any they don't decisions. make any interest rate decisions. I doubt they're going to deviate at all from the the statement that was made uh, on the from from the Fed meeting in the week just past. I see we're coming up on the uh, break here, so I'm going to stop and save it for the next segment. 
And when we come back from the commercial break, we want to talk about this continued conversation about U.S. digital currencies. So we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, I know we went over a lot this weekend's MoneyWise program. I guess our, our biggest piece of, of advice and guidance is that if you find yourself with a lighter allocation of stocks than you like, and you have dry powder available, look at you know market pullbacks as a buying opportunity, but as we have always recommended, is to dollar cost average in, slow and steady buy-ins, week in and week out. Maybe little pullback, you put in 1%. Then maybe the next week you put in a percent, maybe 2%, as opposed to pushing all of your equity chips over the line in one fell swoop. It's always better to dollar cost average in. And for us, like I said, we're <clears throat> for looking at our moderate asset allocation models, we are 50-50, 50% stocks, 50% fixed income. I'm going to just to wrap it up from my point of view and my take on you know why we've had this run is I think that there's this expectation that we're, we've reached a trough in terms of corporate earnings declines, that there's this expectation based on historic averages of when the Federal Reserve stops raising interest rates when they start cutting them, that there's an expectation that there's rates cut, rate cuts coming next year. Um, there's also an expectation, uh, which, you know, we got another inflation number on, uh, on Friday, the PCE number, which showed continued progress towards inflation coming down. And so I think there's this expectation that these statistics showing inflation steadily coming down are going to, going to continue and that they're going to somehow magically get to the Fed's 2% target. So what, did I, what, was the, what was the common theme in everything I just said there? There's probably more that I can list out. It's expectations, meaning it's a prediction. That doesn't mean they're all any of them or all of them are going to come true. You want to say something, Kyle? Yeah, because I wanted to, according to facts, that the projected earnings growth for the third quarter of 2023 is projected at 0.2% growth for the third quarter and 7.5% earnings growth for the fourth quarter of 2023. Those are the current projections, according to FactSet, as of Friday. So you have to ask yourself – Given just those three expectations that some investors may be using to justify this move, what if some of those expectations don't occur? What if the employment number that we're going to get on Friday shows continued deterioration of new job growth? Because we've had two straight months of you know of, of job growth, you know, job growth coming in lower. 
What happens when that number potentially goes negative? I'm not saying the one coming out this Friday is going to go negative, but let's say it's sub it's a sub 100,000 number. Because I think the last one was like 170, 190, 160. Like it was low. What if it's below 100? Is that going to be received positively by the market? Well, how's the Fed going to look at that, too, by the way? Yeah, the, the, the Fed, yeah, exactly. So I know we've got a few minutes left. I wanted, and, and we, everybody, please interject. We, we've talked a little bit about the central bank digital currency or something along the lines of a central bank digital currency in shows past. But what's what's happening right now is that the conservative talk radio is now starting to run ads that are stirring up fear in investors. Because I got a call from a radio show listener that wanted me to tell them about what what is this cent- this new central bank digital currency that's come out. And I was like, what? And and they talk that you know, they continue to talk about. It. I said, oh, you've heard these ads on on conservative talk radio, and of course. What they're really talking about is they're trying to push gold because now they got something else to give you a reason to buy gold. You know, inflation has come down, so they can't use inflation anymore as a reason for buying gold. And so now they've got to come up with a new trick to, to reel some people in to buy gold. And so now it's this fear that the central bank digital currency, the government's going to be following your money. They're going to know where you're spending your money. And it's it, you're going to have any more privacy and yada, 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 and buy gold because that's going to keep the government from knowing what, 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 what you're doing. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, do, do, does anybody listening to our show not believe the government in some way knows what they we're doing? They already know everything you you're know. doing. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> if you have a checking account or savings account, they can confiscate your cash in a blink of an eye in one keystroke. I, I hate to tell all of our listeners that's the you kind better, of access they have. You better not get on the internet at Starbucks while you're at it for the love of baby Jesus. Okay, but, come on. But 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 and we have talked about this on 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 past shows because I've gotten emails about it from clients. I've gotten questions about it. I know in an executive um, an executive order that Joe Biden signed back when he first became president back in 2021 is that he was saying we're not going to a digital currency or a digital U.S. dollar, but I want the Treasury to look into and study the potential efficacy. The Federal Reserve. Pati- excuse me, the Federal Reserve of doing this. And what did you find, Jeff, in a recent article from the Federal Reserve? Well, they are looking into it. They're studying it. But Chairman Powell, in a in testimony before the House Financial Services Committee in March of this year, said that in order for a central bank digital currency to exist, it would have to be approved by Congress, meaning Congress would have to pass laws. There would have to be regulation. There would have to be all kinds of processes and procedures and debates among all the laws, lawmakers just to create it to begin with. So these ads that are out there running on radio say, you got to do this now, or you know, the government's going to know what you're doing. And go buy gold because the government won't know anything you're doing if you own gold. Well, how are you going to buy the gold? You buy the gold with cash. But where's the cash going to come from? From a check that you write on your account? Or, I mean, it's going to be sent to them electronically. You think the government's not going to know that you bought gold? But they're creating this this fear, fear. for – for an event that doesn't even, you know, it doesn't exist. 
There is no central bank digital currency in the United States, and there isn't even one contemplated at this time. So just another example of people trying to sell something by generating fear in listeners' minds. And what are the two emotions that drive Wall Street, that can drive investment investment decisions? Fear and greed. It also drives bad investment decisions. That's right. Absolutely. Another point on this is when you're talking about all this, make sure you vet your advisor. If you're looking for an advisor, vet them. Make sure you know what type of products they're selling. You know, we don't have a license here. Honestly, yeah. you need to look at that. I had a statement a couple of weeks ago about an annuity. I'm like, oh, Lord. But anyways, and we hate annuities segment. and we hate annuities of all shape and form. You can always go to broker check to look up who you're potentially going to work with or who you're currently working with free of charge. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of our break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, and I found a, an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things Every Retirement Portfolio Should Have. And for any longtime listener of the Money, or for any longtime listeners of the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists our countdown list here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I, I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the, the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one, for the five things every retirement portfolio should have, and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack 
of consistent income, or I should say decent income, for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend-paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock. And kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again, uh, the dogs of the Dow are the, uh, at the beginning of each year, they identify the five or ten highest dividend-paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5. I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day so yeah it is something over five percent but the one thing i would say about this call you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account a consistent income now in in days gone by obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio and that was true from the time uh in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in 08 but because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was going to say the problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired that, that they can survive on, unless and as we've talked on this program. If you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any that's, given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. 
and these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we there there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid privately traded REITs or REITs in general there's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value many of the the, the master limited partnerships some of the REITs had large declines in values and saw their yields go up, and for whatever reason, the, the the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security. And having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good, but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15%. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8 and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value, and so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%, but if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when, we, when we're reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one one more thing before we go to break is that Dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more. Uh, uh, there's a better treatment of of, of taxation uh, on on those dividend paying stocks than you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And Jeff, I'm glad you brought up right before we went to commercial break the REITs or real estate investment trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had. And I've said... I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said, oh, Kyle, look at the great 10, 15, 12% uh, dividend yield I'm getting. And, I'm sa- and I said to them, but you've lost 50% or 75% of the value of your original investment. And then I see the look come over their face saying, oh, my gosh, I just realized that I was, like you said earlier, focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture. So for any listener 
that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a ten percent dividend yield if you've lost fifty or sixty percent of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print. In every perspective, as we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top and that, oh, you know, it, it's it, that's all it. these all this these. Yeah, this is it. It can't go any higher. We'll go. We'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began. And there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to, in essence, board up their portfolios, get ready for that coming storm, get ready for that hurricane that's coming. And, you know, preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about. But it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks, you have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar, but most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks and what's getting ready to happen and what's what still really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds. They thought that being an invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, I want out. I don't care what it, what it, where things are valued at. I don't care where the markets are. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what the Fed's doing. I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling. And so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013, and, you have, and, and suddenly this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income, because that's, what, that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I, I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 
2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to, to fixed income found out that, yes, you can lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here at, that have come through our front door that have been in that situation. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans, and for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. 
And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – the one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension, is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, that's if you choose the single-life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump-sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners in the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's going to be less than option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident. 
then guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option. And there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three, three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and you need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401K to live off of in retirement, and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liqui- it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by... Committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of, of payments, which is in the essence an annuity. They don't ever call it that, I know. which is very interesting. It's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office, it never says annuity. 
It's just this is going to be your payment for your life, your life for your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say that this is an essence and annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and, in essence, have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves, by, but, but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money in case... Complete liquidity, complete, complete flexibility, flexibility, and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency is three business days. That's it. And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those, those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff, some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as right. as a corporation which improves their profitability that's right and so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire that's right it's not very common but it does happen it does happen so Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we, Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we'd said in some of the in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and and the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity. Of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've, especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial, since the financial crisis. And the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, they're required to report you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs were in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If, you have, if you're signing up for an investment and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially, 
you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts, or REITs, in bold letters. Now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, we, have, we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded okay so again when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's money wise program when we come back we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have we've done consistent income preservation of capital capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh my gosh, how many, I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. And our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, And the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule. Um, And really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based 
uh, structure, a fee-based arrangement that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs. Ask the questions. And, and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you, you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's, that, that's, that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And, and, and the person on the other side of the table should not hem-haw around or should not try to deflect the question away because – Cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses, and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go, we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show. They can add up, and they're not always obvious. And you have to, as Kyle says, dig deeper to figure it out. Uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at major brokerage houses, and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in, many of those wrap accounts start off at 2 2.5% per year and go up from there. That's right. uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded 3% of assets under management and don't even get a startus started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing don't it work, out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again is long-term growth the bottom line is is as you get closer to retirement and as Jeff said at the the beginning of this second hour you can't just board up your portfolio you cannot say well I'm two or three years away from retiring so now I'm just gonna move everything 100 percent into fixed income now I'm safe yeah preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth you always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. And and we've always said don't be confused with pre preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation 
is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio not paying attention to that not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss well it's not going to show it on your statement but it is a loss one thing that that i think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the cpi running around two percent are just about over yeah. and we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into safe. the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half, one thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week